swing and a line drive left field. Ben Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did. He got it. Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High knee He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everybody joining us, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. By the time most of you listen to this, we will be only five days away from opening day on July 24th, which would be nearly, what, almost 10 months since we last saw a pitch, and a live game that actually counted. So, almost there. We'll have one more show on Wednesday, and then next Sunday's show will be the first in-season show. Tonight I have Charlie Smith with me. It's uh, basically been the, the Terry and Charlie show for, you know, most of the last couple of months. So, thanks again for, you know, being the MVP, Charlie. <laughs> oh, my pleasure, man. You know, it's... uh. It's one of the things I absolutely love doing this and uh, learn something new sometimes. And it's just fun. You know, this is a good time. It makes it, it makes me feel like baseball hasn't really left when we do this. So it's, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. So not huge news uh, to go over, but there are some interesting tidbits that will affect how the Red Sox do start the season. Nathan Avoldi as of yesterday, named the opening day starter. So no more confusion on that. Uh, Erod will get to shortly, but what are your thoughts on Evaldi? So, you know, I've been very vocal about Evaldi. Um, I think that he did a great job when he, when he came over. He really uh, made his role on the team evident and uh pretty clear when he made that world series performance i was very cautious when he did get that really big contract extension very handsome extension um which really happened as a result of one performance uh and then last year happened um where he he got injured he had really that one solid performance against new york where i believe he struck out six had a one hit in six innings um and that was really it and then the rest of it was kind of injury and it was uh just a nightmare. And uh, this is really going to be Nathan Evaldi's coming out party. Uh, if he cannot stand, um, you know, 11, 12 starts, this is going to tell us a lot about him and the next couple of years after that. Um, I want to stay somewhat positive because he's been doing great and because there has been so much negativity already, possibly started by me. I just, uh, I want to say that right now um, we have to uh, reserve judgment, as the Red Sox have said, and uh, just try to remain positive because uh, we need to start the season off on the right foot. So uh, with uh, Erod going down for a little bit with the with the illness um, and the way that Evaldi's been pitching, uh, I, I think that they're making the right decision, and um, hopefully it pans out. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, 
we know who Evaldi is. I mean, he should, especially against the Orioles, keep us in contention to win the game at the very least. I wasn't a big fan of the contract extension either. You know, that was a big-time Dave Dombrowski overpay, but is what it is. We've got two years left of him, so, you know, we're going to salvage it the best that we can. Maybe if we get really lucky, he'll go on an absolute tear and maybe someone will want to pick him up, you know, in the offseason. But, but nonetheless... But let's, I got a list of opening day starters here going back to 2009. So let's, let's just do some revisionist history for a moment. Uh, 2009 opening day starter, Josh Beckett. 2010, Josh Beckett. 2011, John Lester. 2012, John Lester. 2013, John Lester. 2014, again, John Lester. 2015, you had Clay Buckholtz. 2016, David Price. 2017, you had Rick Porcello, which is a little weird because we had just traded for Chris Sale, but Porcello did win the Cy Young, so he got the start in 2017. Then you had Chris Sale in 2018 and 19. Finally, you have Nathan Avaldi. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. A very elite list of names. I know we make fun of Clay Buckholz, but I mean, he was an ace on and off throughout his career. And, you know, Porcello, as I mentioned, was coming off that anomaly. So, um, yeah, so that's the company Evoldi is in. So hopefully he makes the most of it. And if he has a good year, maybe when we're talking about the 2024 opening day starter and, you know, we revisit this list, we can say, you know what? Avoldi was okay that one year. <laughs> and I I think that's what we have to hope for. Right. Because, I mean, I, I've been negative about it because I've, I've been frustrated with the way some things have panned out, the way that some contracts have been divvied out and uh, some contracts have not been divvied out, you know, in, in the past, you know, where the, the Red Sox opted to, and I've been very vocal about this, they opted to get Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez over Max Scherzer. That would have prevented us from having to waste money on David Price, perhaps saved us from making a, a plethora of bad decisions um, in that like four or five year span. And who knows what would have happened? Maybe we wouldn't have needed Chris Sale. Maybe we would have still had, um, you know, uh, all the players that we shipped off. You know, Michael Kopech was one of the most highly touted pitching prospects uh, in the game. And then, uh, of course, we got rid of. Uh, Oh my God, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, the second baseman shortstop who ended up going over as well. Um, help me out, Tear. Oh, um. I can't believe I'm drawing a brain fart on this guy. Yeah, me too. Double brain fart. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I got to try to remain a little bit positive in it. Yon Mankata. That's his name. Thank you. Oh, my God. Uh, I just my got God. it. Uh, yeah, Yon. Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where he's been doing great. Let's try to remain a little bit positive. Let's hope that he can do what he's been doing. And maybe this will be his opportunity to show, you know what? Keep the faith in me. Let me prove and show you what I can do. I just need that time. And let's just see what happens. So, Yeah, you know... I took a lot of heat for this statement, and this is just kind of random off the cuff, but um, if if you could go back to 2016 again, 
I would have traded for Justin Verlander instead of Chris Sale. And now that Sale's finally had Tommy John and coming off of a couple of shaky seasons, you know, maybe now it starts to make the most sense that maybe Verlander might have been the guy. But but Dombrowski went after uh, Sale, which is kind of surprising, too, because Verlander was Dombrowski's guy in Detroit. Correct. <laughs> so. it, it was. Uh, it, it's been an interesting. Uh, it, it was always interesting with with Dave Dombrowski. You know, Dombrowski. Everyone had given a lot of credit for you know being a fantastic GM, but what they didn't realize is that Dave. It, it's like Chainsaw Dave. He he didn't care what he had to cut or get rid of to get certain players. When they went after like all in on Tyler Thornburg. They gave up Mauricio Dubon and um, uh, Yaisen Kokoa and a couple other players. And I just sat there like, wait a minute. And Travis, and Tra- Travis Shaw as well. You're sitting there like, wait, wait a minute. We're, we're getting a guy that's really only had one year. What are we doing? It was just too much for one player. And we all saw what Travis Shaw was able to do in Milwaukee for that year, year and a half. Um, before it, it, it kind of, the, the wheels kind of fell off. And hopefully he gets his, his opportunity um in toronto um and we'll see but i mean i i feel like people give dave dombrowski a little bit too much credit and really all he does is give out big contracts he shells out the farm system makes these moves that probably 20 other gms would say you know what i'm not going to go chips all in on this because it's just not worth it to go all in for one year to sacrifice five so, I mean, there's there's a reason why I think Dave Dombrowski's mentality is not going to be the way of the future for Major League Baseball or other sports because it can't sustain itself. The Red Sox had one of the better farm systems, and within within a year, a year and a half, they went from, like, top five to bottom three, and it wasn't even close. So, I mean, it's we're going to have to deal with this for the next couple of years. In a couple of years, we'll be able to kind of push reset. But uh, it, it, it'll take a little bit of time. So I'm, I'm going to try to change my mindset and be a little bit more patient. Yeah, and don't forget Carson Smith as well. That was a bad Dombrowski trade. Not that we gave up a ton for him, but um, just another example of him not getting good value. Yep. Yeah, there was actually it was two people. It was uh, Ronas Elias that also came uh, along with Carson Smith and just didn't work out, you know? Yeah. So sometimes it doesn't work out and that, that was unfortunately the case. Absolutely. And, uh, so I don't think we have any starters beyond, uh, Evoldi. Maybe Martin Perez might be your game two guy, but I'm assuming we'll find out more about that in the next 24, 48 hours. But, uh, another, Pitching development, which just took place today, uh, Colin McHugh has opted out of the 2020 season. So, what are your thoughts? D- disappointing. Um, you know, it just happened a couple couple hours ago. Um, I think they announced it. Um, yeah, just a couple hours ago. I-, I was actually really looking forward to it because. With everything that was going on, you know, the Red Sox have no Chris Sale. They have no David Price. We're now relying on Erod, who's coming back from COVID. Nathan Evaldi, who's coming back from last year's surgery. Um, you got Weber, who's in there. Uh, you got Brian Johnson in there. And Colin McHugh would have been a nice little fit. I'm, I, he was kind of like that comeback story. There were so many comeback stories on the Red Sox. So 
it's disappointing that um, he did opt out. Um, but, you know, he's not our star player. The difference, though, is the Red Sox don't have uh, the luxury of losing pitching. We've already lost so much. So it's it's not only it's not just disappointing because we're losing a player. It, it's more than that because we're losing a, a potential starter who could have potentially had a, a good year. This would have been an opportunity for him to raise his value and perhaps get uh, you know his probably last major payday. So you know he, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, he he signed a cheap one year prove it deal which wasn't even quite a million and so he was fronted the money because they were all fronted i think 33 percent not even that much but they were all the players were fronted a certain amount of money and when you take into consideration the the 60 games prorated he actually wasn't going to get paid you know for the rest of the season anyway and you know coming off of a flexor strain that just very seldom ever works out without major surgery so I was kind of a skeptic you know people will say well it was such a cheap contract it was worth doing and maybe that's fair but I just feel like there might have been better options out there Seattle got Taiwan Walker I think for two million dollars and he's pitching pretty well right now you know, coming into the season. So I think that was a missed opportunity for the Red Sox. I do have a slimmer of hope that maybe they'll go after Aaron Sanchez, depending on how much he'll command for 60 games. Boris was saying he was still a number one starter. Uh, you know, Andrew. No, he's was, not. Exactly. <laughs> Andrew was pointing that out on the last episode. And. So I don't know if that's Boris trying to get him a big contract or just Boris trying to get him a contract, you know, to maybe boost his value going into next season. But at this point, I mean, we saved $6 million from David Price opting out. So why not? I I, I would do it. We, we do have Zach Godley. I guess I should have mentioned that. And I guess he got hit pretty good the other night, but. But I, well, you, I don't you know. bring up a couple good points. Um, you know, Colin Hugh kind of had like a prove a deal. He's going to go into next season a free agent again. You know, he'll, he'll have no information. You know, teams aren't going to have anything to, to drop. So they're going to have to basically take information from the past. He didn't do great in 2019 as a as a starter. Um, you know, the, the year prior, he was a reliever and he did very, very well. They try to bring him back to being a starter. Really, his last good year as a starter was 2016, three years ago. It'll be four years. He'll be 33 um, when he comes back. Taiwan Walker, the only reason why he was so cheap was because he's only pitched in four games in the last two years. His last real good season, honestly, if we're going to look at it, was 2017. Maybe you can make an argument for 2015, and, and that's that. Aaron Sanchez, his last good season, three years ago, too. 2017, ERA over four. 2018, almost at five. 2019, his ERA in Toronto was over six. He was three and 14 in Toronto. In it, when he went to Houston, he still only he he went two and zero in four games, but he had an ERA of almost five. He gave up five home runs in 18 innings. That's just not going to cut it. And you know, I hope the Red Sox don't think that he's going to be the you know the second coming. It, it, it's just not someone that I would I would invest a lot of chips in um, 
godly same thing you know godly we, we don't know what's going to happen with him but um i mean the risk is that you know red sox really can't afford to have too many more pitchers say that you know we're, we're done because godly last year only played in in a handful of games and was not a starter so his last time starting was back in 20 um oh, sorry it, it, he did start in 2019 but he um he didn't he didn't do well i mean he, he got shelled too his era was over six so it's it's one of those situations where the red sox are going after a lot of players where it's low risk potential medium reward um but sanchez is by no stretch of the imagination a a a one or a two in any rotation and morris is out of his mind if he thinks so (laughs) yeah i just think he's trying to get him on a roster and i wouldn't mind i mean if he gets a two million dollar deal like like um taiwan walker did then what's that you know, with 60 games prorated, it probably comes in for under a million. So I would just do it to, for the depth, I guess. And you, you don't know who's going to be the next to test positive and be gone for two to four weeks. That's another thing too. I just kind of finally started picking up on this this week. Bobby Dahlbeck was asymptomatic, but it took him five weeks to test negative twice. So that's kind of discouraging for a guy who didn't have symptoms. And I guess we can talk about Erod right now. He had really bad symptoms, not quite to the Freddie Freeman level, but he said basically it's the sickest he's ever been. And he was quoted as saying he felt like he was a hundred years old. He could barely get out of bed and, you know, and, and he came back, uh, basically in the same timetable as a guy who was asymptomatic. So, you know, kind of a, you know, it's going to suck, you know, if these, if any of them do, do test positive. Absolutely. And, and here, here's the other thing too, Terry is the virus has affected people incredibly differently. It has done something so little as, Oh, I have a headache and a slight fever to, you know, uh, Freddie Freeman, who had a fever of 104 plus, thought, you know, was was praying to God that it didn't take him. There are other people that have been sick for two to three weeks. There is a video I watched of a guy who was a, like a former bodybuilder, like muscle, muscle man. And in less than two months, he lost over 40 pounds. And I'm sure there could have been potentially other things going on, too. But 40 pounds of lost weight. He looked sickly. Uh, like he was gonna die. This this is no joke. I understand why people are, are taking it seriously. Like, yes, the fatality rate is not that high, but even even the risk. Like, if you get tagged with it, it's it's not a fun experience. And I know, unfortunately, there there are several people that I I know I've worked with that um, they have loved ones that have passed away because of COVID, and they mentioned how difficult it was to breathe, and they feel like everything is shutting down. You have no control. So. Um, I, I, it's, it is scary. The fact that there are some people that are asymptomatic, they're not showing any signs. And the fact that you could test negative, 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 and then positive, it's, it's, it's just a huge cluster bomb. It's, it's bad. It's, it's tough. It's scary. The, the one upside though, is a lot of our better pitchers have gotten it. You know, you got Erod, he should be fine. I mean, I guess there is like a 1% or 2% chance you can test positive again, but highly unlikely. Um, 
Darwin's and Hernandez, arguably our best reliever. Um, you know, he's back now. Josh Taylor also back. So, so we, we won't have to worry about losing these guys again. So we can take a little bit of comfort in that. And with Erod specifically, I was look trying to get a timetable for him, but they didn't really, they didn't really give one as far as when he would be pitching in a actual MLB game. Yesterday, he did throw a uh, 25-pitch bullpen session and looked pretty good and came out of it pretty strong. So that tells me he's going to miss at least a couple of turns through the rotation, but maybe they can kind of sneak him in for an inning or two of long relief. I mean, I'll take it. Yeah. I, I my 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 one thing when it comes to him is that I sincerely hope they don't um, bring him back to you know make make him do too much. That's the that's the risk. Um, and this is this is an opportunity that we we don't need to worry about um, making it you know going over the top, going overboard with him um, because this is someone potentially that could be very special and a potential closer for a very very long time. So um, it, it's one of those expressions that I use relatively frequently now. We will see. We shall see. So um, happy to know that he's feeling better because he wasn't the only one. You know, we had uh, Erod out, uh, Darwinson Hernandez was out, and then also uh, Josh Taylor, who's also um, feeling much better and coming back. So, it, you know, there, there's a return finally where things are starting to kind of go back to normal, at least for the Red Sox, if, if you can call it normal. Absolutely. So we'll uh, we'll kind of have to monitor uh, when those guys will be back. I kind of hope they use Darwin's in you know in the high leverage spots, kind of like how the Diamondbacks do with Archie Bradley. Um, you know, if the heart of the order comes up in the in the eighth inning, that's kind of where I'd like to have him. Mm-hmm. They tried that with Kimbrel, but you know he was a bit of a head case, so. Had to keep him in the night. Yeah, you know, with with Craig Kimbrell too. Like that's going to be something that I'll I'll never I'll never understand because it just it was like the wheels completely fell off and things just were not going well after 2017 when he just went off. It was like a completely different person. ERA rose over one. Still got the five wins. Still got a lot of saves. Um, but he just he didn't seem like himself. He was walking a lot more guys. He gave up, um, you know, same number of home runs. But he just he didn't look comfortable. It was like Chuck Knobloch getting the yips. It was like that because even last year, uh, Craig Kimbrell was not Craig Kimbrell. He just he doesn't look comfortable. I don't know what's wrong. Yeah, he also wasn't healthy last year. I'm trying to find uh, information on him right now, which. Uh... Nothing's really coming up, so that must mean he's probably in camp pitching. But, um, well, actually, two days ago, well, here's a Twitter quote for you because, you know, we all know that's legit. But uh, someone, <laughs> someone says, Craig Kimbrell stinks now. I apologize for relentlessly harassing the Phillies to sign him two years ago. So, yeah, maybe he is getting knocked around one way or the other, but. Nonetheless, I'm kind of glad the Red Sox didn't give him that $100 million contract he was uh, lobbying for. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember like I don't remember so much it being a health issue. I do remember, and this much I I completely you know I I respect the situation. I understand. I can't say I've I've gone through it. Um, but I remember in in 2018 he did mention um, that at least I remember reading it 2018 or 2017 he mentioned that his daughter was having heart surgery, and and she was a baby. So that might have been something else that was uh, affecting his psyche as well. He mentioned that his daughter's surgery was also um, a problem. I just I can't remember if it was 2017, 2018. Because if it was 2018, that might have been one of the reasons why he just wasn't getting it done. But um, that that's something that really plays in your head because you you spend your your life on the road. You very seldom get to spend time at home. And if that's something where you know, you need to be at home for like, that's, that's something that's really going to mess with you. So I'm just finding it now, actually. So, uh, Craig Kimbrell 2017 season. So it doesn't seem to be an issue for 2018, but maybe there was complications. I have no idea. Yeah. His daughter had a, had a hole in her heart or something like that. Yep. And, uh, the right. surgery fortunately was a success. So Boston's actually a great place to be when, you know, you have anything cardiac or neurological because they're they've got some of the best world class doctors. My mother has had um, a seizure disorder and um, not aneurysms. I think the blood vessel has to blow for it to be an aneurysm, but she has had a couple of high risk stuff done um, at New England Med. So, so yeah, pretty. Uh, no, I have a lot of. I have, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for those in the medical field. Uh, it's something that, you know, I thought, oh, maybe I'll do that when I get older and then, uh, couldn't stand blood. So I was like, that's off. That's, that's done. That's just not going to happen. So <laughs> I, I give them a lot of credit, especially now with everything going on in, in the world. It's, it's just, they're doing an unbelievable job. I hit the floor if there's uh, a lot of blood. Like if someone's got a bloody nose, that's probably not going to bother me. But if it's gushing out of their arm, I would like instantly pass out them. Not a tough guy when it comes to that. <laughs> yep. Same there. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Raphael Devers uh, arrived at camp, I think, early uh, last week, Monday or Tuesday, and looks a little pudgy. Yeah. It's uh, not looking so good. Um, and he's, you know, not also really manning the hot corner, um, with, with ease. He's not looking quite like Pablo Sandoval, but the fact that it's, I I think too much time away from baseball hasn't really helped. And yes, maybe he'll get a little bit better, but definitely something that Boston is going to be monitoring, uh, moving forward. He's, he's made a couple of errors and that's, uh, not really a position you can afford to have someone making a lot of errors because a lot of balls come that direction. So uh, something to um, something to monitor uh, delicately. I'll say that much because he's never been uh, you know a Gold Glove player at third base. Uh, last year he made I'm pretty sure he made over 20 errors. I have to I have to double check that. Um, so he, he's not known for his defense. And last year, he, he more than made up for it with his bat. Yeah, so 2019 at 22 errors. But uh, that's over the span of 152 games. So Most of them were early, too, I think. That's true. That's correct. So when we look back at um, – when we look at this now, 
a couple of errors, two, three errors in a week is, is not a good sign. So you figure you play five, six games, you have three errors. That's almost, that's what, 12 errors in the month. In less than two months, he would have already surpassed all the total errors that he had all of last year. So um, the hope is that whatever whatever the situation is, he, he's able to kind of right the ship there because uh, that's not going to be something that the team is going to be okay with. Um, he had a streak in April where he had, I think, an error in three straight games. And I remember my dad and I were like, Jesus, like, what the hell's going on? Like, he just keeps making errors. So I'm looking at it right now. By the end of April and March, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight errors. So almost a third of his errors were just before April. And then in May, he only committed one. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, if, if he can write this ship now, we it'll be one less thing that fans and we will have to talk about and complain about. So, again, trying to stay positive. Let's just hope that he can write the ship now and uh, get refocused into baseball and getting back in shape. Yeah, I mean, last season, you know, as you kind of pointed out with your breakdown there, he did kind of turn it around, but it seemed like just when you were getting comfortable with him, like he would sky one over the first baseman's head and it would go into the stands and you'd be like, ah, you know, he'd been playing so well. So he'd make one often enough to just kind of make you a little nervous, but... I'm just wondering, he, he's he's a bigger guy, and I can't imagine he's what he's going to look like in his 30s, but how far are we away from him being a first baseman DH, kind of like Big Poppy? Um, well, that is a, a great question question you look about the you look at some of the players that are potential third baseman that could handle the hot corner i know chavis has spent some time at third but uh, i mean let, let's see first baseman um may, maybe three four years if they're going to actually make that commitment to them but uh the the other thing with with devers devers is, is six feet he's not that tall for first base so ideally you want to find someone who's just a couple inches taller than that and someone that's got a little bit of hop um because there's there's a difference between scooping them out off of the bat and then scooping them out out, off of a throw so maybe three to four years maybe they can start to work them in slowly but surely or maybe slide them over to first base in some games that don't matter anymore um just to give them a little bit of uh opportunity there but um I'm curious to see if that ends up being something that they end up exploring because they have they have a couple of prospects that could potentially fill third base if the if the need arises. Uh, if Bobby Dahlback comes up, that fills that void right there. So um, how far away is he from coming up to Boston? That would be another question too to think about because he's uh, twenty. Oh gosh. I think he's 26 or 25 years old. So if he can, if he's ready to come up to Boston, then we, then I'd feel a little bit more comfortable with the move of him potentially sliding over to, um, to first base. But that, that really depends on how committed Boston will be with, uh, with that move because Dahlbeck also commits a lot of errors too. So that, that needs to be something that they, they monitor as well. So if, if Devers can 
can stop making errors at third base, I'd feel comfortable with him staying there. But the conditioning needs to be there as well. You can't be out of shape and responding to balls slowly. That's just not going to work. So um, Dahlbeck is a little bit taller. He could handle third base. I mean, they could really do first and third. They could mix and match. Dahlbeck's a little bit taller than him, um, but he's also a little bit older too. So I, I kind of gauge a little level of, of uh, interest to see if he's comfortable moving over to first base because I, the last thing I would want is is something like, uh, you know, it's like the converting of a reliever to a starter, a starter to a reliever. What if it doesn't work out and then he completely falls apart? We've seen that in Boston several times. So, um Great question. I, I'd say three to four years. Uh, well, what about if JD opts out? And I think he will opt out because even though he's got, what, two years left on the books, he could sign a bunch of one-year deals and still make decent enough money. So he's not going to really be walking away from a lot of money. And the the National League could very well have the DH next year. They do this year, but it's supposedly just a one-year thing but i just i mean why not just stick him at dh you you know then you'd have chavis at first you'd have maybe dahlbeck at third the the dude's a strikeout machine so is chavis so not a lot of offense right. on the corners there but um and then tristan casas is a uh first baseman or at least that's what he's listed as right now so, and he's 6'5", so, you know, there's your height. Endeavors might have a harder time skying one over him, but I don't know. I just, I, you know, it, it's 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 tough, but I, I guess for as long as his defense justifies it, he can probably stay there. I also worried about him, you know, even when he's in good shape. I mean, he's still a pudgy guy. Uh, you know, I, I just hope he doesn't get injured or, or anything like that because he's going to be a, you know, a force in the heart of our lineup for the next three or four years at least. If you know, if the conditioning becomes a major issue and he does convert to becoming just a full-time designated hitter, we already know what that looks like. But if, if we're committing to him as a designated hitter uh, – that power has got to stay there. He's got to become a super clutch player because that is the expectation that has been set in the past. There's already, uh, you know, we already know what we've had in the past. If we're gonna, if we're gonna look to get that towards the future, we have to know that worst case scenario, he still can still manage uh, either first or third or do something else because come interleague play games, there is no DH if it is just that one year. So. Um, that, that'll be something else to monitor. Uh, I was just looking up uh, Casas as well, and he's young too. He's 20. So um, if if they end up moving him through the uh, through the system quickly, then that's one other person they have to uh, take a look at. When um, Chavis manned uh, third base for Boston um, in 2019, he committed no errors in just four games of work. So um, five games, excuse me. So maybe he would be a better fit at third base. So maybe it wouldn't be three to four years. Maybe it would be just two at the most um, because JD's contract will, will make a little bit of difference too. And who knows, maybe Casas in less than two years will be ready. Who knows? There's, there's a lot of variables. I want to give it the year before I make any definitive 
comments about where I see him going forward. Yeah, and Casas would have probably played in Double A at at some point this year. So I, I think he might have been looking at a call up next year um, at the latest. So it's kind of one of the disappointments of not having minor league ball this year. Yeah, and G- that's going to be another disappointing thing too. A lot of people are going to be missing out on uh, on some opportunities here. Yeah, they're going to be set back a little bit. And Jeter yeah. Downs could have been called up this year, maybe. So that's kind of another casualty of you know the the COVID year, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll just kind of keep an eye on Devers, I guess. Um, how about Daniel Bard making a major league roster at thirty five years old? hasn't hasn't a- pitched in a major league <laughs> game since twenty thirteen. It's it's pretty remarkable, you know. It's funny, is uh, you know that was that was one of the things I was talking about. Is we've seen the, the 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 Red Sox in the past where they've converted starters to relievers, relievers to starters, and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Derek Lowe was one of those closers that ended up turning into a starter, and it worked out for him one year, and then it, it you know he, he had a no hitter, like he did great, and then you have the Daniel Bard situation, who goes from this like super successful hold closer type player into a starter, and then it's like the Chuck Knob like yips. He just couldn't get it done. And he spent some time in Chicago. Uh, you know, Theo Epstein gave him a chance. It just didn't work out. And he ended up being a coach. And um, some of the players ended up making a comment about the fact that Daniel Bard's fastball is really good. And some of his other pitches are really moving. And to give it another shot. And so he's finally doing that. And uh, the exciting thing about that is, you know, who doesn't like a comeback story? It's uh, it, It's nice because... You hear about um, there was a, a movie that came out uh, that Disney made called The Rookie with Dennis Quaid, and he plays um, a relief pitcher for the Toronto uh, for the Tampa Bay uh, Rays. Uh, Jimmy, I think it's Jim Morris. Do you remember? Do you remember him pitching? Ah, uh, vaguely. So he he pitched only only a couple of years. And he didn't make his major league debut until he was 35 years old, 35. And he wasn't crazy, crazy successful. He didn't blow anyone out of the water. But it was just incredible to see a 35-year-old make his major league debut. You know, this is a baseball coach that had the opportunity. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. And then, you know, the story goes that his team was like, all right, this is your time, coach. This is your time. So... This is similar to that where the players are like, come on, like Daniel, Dan, coach, this is this is your time. Give it a shot. The worst you could do is find out it's not there for you and you can always come back to what you've been doing and you're good at it. So I'm happy for, for Daniel Bard. I'm happy he's getting the shot. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, this season. But, I mean, if he's got any of the movement that he had in the past, even remotely close to it, the guy is going to be a great eighth inning guy. So um, pow- more power to him. I wish him nothing but the best. Um, we definitely enjoyed seeing him play in Boston, and he did great work. So, you know, time will tell. You know, I, I, I hope I hope it works out for him. Yeah, I guess he's throwing in the mid-90s, so still has a formidable fastball. Um, you know, he's not so much a sinker slider guy anymore. Uh, I, I saw a quote, but, um, but yeah, I mean, after 
getting done with the Red Sox, he at the end of the season, 2014, he signed with the Rangers and didn't make the team. And I'm going to list off some teams, and he never made any of the, you know, their big league rosters, you know, as we mentioned. But you know, the Rangers took a flyer on him. Then he went to the Cubs in 2015, 2016 with the Pirates. Uh, later on in 2016, um, ended up in St. Louis with the Cardinals after being released by the Pirates. With the Mets in 2017, that's not an organization that's going to save anybody. And uh, right. and then he, he retired and, and uh, gave it another go this year with the Rockies. So, so yeah, I, I wish him the best. I mean, it's kind of interesting that he ended up with the Rockies because it's almost like playing on the moon in that stadium. You know, the balls just kind of fly out of there. And that's true. You know, Coors Field is, is a is a whole different monster when it comes to pitching and hitting. And uh, it, it kind of reminds me of do you remember when Mike Hampton, Mike Hampton was a pitcher? And when he went over to uh, Colorado, his career took a very interesting turn because this was someone that was a, a really good pitcher and a really good hitting pitcher, too. But when he went over to Colorado, Everything was very different. When he was in Houston, the guy was lights out. When he pitched for the Mets, the guy was fantastic as well. When he went over to Colorado, though, his ERA shot up over five. Like he was a 2.9, 3.0 guy, and it shot over two runs, like over 2.0 higher than normal. And the year after that, did even worse. And then the year after that, when he left, it went back down under four. So it's just, it's one of those things where. Colorado can make or break a, a pitcher. If you can do really well in Colorado, you can do very well. If you can't do well in Colorado, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So, uh, props again for Daniel to, to Daniel Bard because if he can do well in Colorado, he should be able to succeed everywhere. Yeah, in Colorado, I don't even remember the last big name pitcher they really had, especially like with a big free agent signing. You know, nobody wants to go there, and they're a small market team anyway, so they're not usually going to be the top bidder for, you know, a, a top flight free agent, but but it's just kind of Yeah, crazy. you have to, when I think about the, the uh, elite pitchers for, um, for Colorado, I actually have to, I, without being disrespectful to like Ubaldo Jimenez or <laughs> any of those guys that were good for like a year, um, the, the name that comes to mind for me is, um, is Daryl Kyle. I think he was like the last big name to pitch, um, in Colorado. And I think that was like late nineties. I'm, I'm kind yeah. of aging myself a little bit here. Um, but he was, he was really one of the last ones. And I think he, he had a couple good years. They had a, a couple other pitchers that were there too. I'd have to double check though, to see if his numbers were good. Daryl Kyle was just a name that I remember. So he was in Houston in 97, 98, 99. Didn't do that great. He also was one of those pitchers that did not do that well in Colorado. But I, I'm trying to remember. Honestly, I, I don't remember the last Colorado pitcher that that was a superstar. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. they. I, I don't have their 07 roster up, but they you know made it to the World Series against us. But not definitely not with you know a, an ace-type guy. Kansas City won in 2015 with... Edinson Volquez as their ace. So, 
So it's not uh, if your bullpen's good and you got some offense, then you know sometimes you can win a championship. Yeah, oh seven. Just just what you were mentioning. Uh, they had Jeff Francis, so he he uh, he won thirteen or more games three years in a row. So oh, okay. in two thousand seven, he went seventeen and nine, and actually had a decent year. Yeah. Um, and he finished ninth in the Cy Young. So again, not not very common for them to get that superstar, you know, pitcher. But uh, you know, they'll take it. Yeah. And with with Daniel Bard in Boston, the year he was a starter, that was the Bobby Valentine year. So probably was a semi-hostile environment, you know, if you're trying to work through some issues. Going to be a little more challenging. And John Farrell might not have done him any favors either, you know, the next few years after that. But... But with that said, I mean, he did blow three leads the September before, which was the infamous collapse year, you know, the beer and chicken year. So, right. Yeah. So I hopefully, you know, he's passed all that maybe because he's 35 years old. He's just he has the luxury of not caring and and, you know, it's just simply going to try to be that Cinderella story. And yeah, I I wish him well. If if the Red Sox are you know getting killed or killing whoever, and I see that Colorado has a close game, I might put it on just to see if he comes out of the pen, and uh, you know, see if he's got some of that old magic from you know oh eight through twenty ten. Anyway, it'd be nice to see. That's for sure. Just an off-the-wall question. I kind of had a tweet about this yesterday. Jonathan Papelbon's 39 years old. I have no idea where the hell he is because he apparently might have went into the witness protection program after getting released by the Nationals in 2016. Uh, they released him shortly after that Harper incident, and they weren't making the playoffs, so it you know didn't really matter that they cut him. But how... How hilarious would it be if he came out of retirement and tag teamed the the late innings with with Bard? <laughs> it would be it would be interesting to see because the the last time that the two of them were together were uh, in that 2011 2012 uh, 2011 season because 2012 was the beginning of uh, the Phillies. That's when he signed that 58 million dollar deal, and it was like 58 million 58 dollars. It, it was something silly. Um, but, uh, you know, he hasn't pitched in three years now, so who knows? I mean, if, if he, if, if someone's willing to give the guy a shot, he is 39 years old. I have no idea what shape he's in. Um, but, uh, it would be more funny than like serious, you know, it, like seeing Charlie Sheen throw out the first pitch at a Cleveland Indians game. Um, but you know, who knows? I mean, crazier things have happened. So, uh, who knows? It would be great to see him again. Cause I, I definitely do miss seeing him do his little hoedown dance. Yeah. And you know, he kinda, he loved the big moments. So it's just, it's crazy to me that he just kind of fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. And here's another question. He's got a career 244 average and he's got 368 saves which is 22 less than Dennis Eckersley. Eckersley's in the Hall of Fame. Can you make a case for Papelbon or is his career just too short? You know, I don't I just don't know if I could. You know, he's got 
yes, he does have the hardware. He does have a World Series title under his belt. Um, I just, you know, he had a couple. He had a string of good years pitching. He he was an All Star. He was almost the Rookie of the Year back in 2006 when he had a sub one ERA as a closer. I mean, he he did really really great. But the last two years really derailed it, and I don't think that. Major League Baseball wants to promote someone that didn't necessarily get along with everybody great in the clubhouse. Um, I mean, this is someone that did great his first uh, couple of years in Philadelphia. Um, and then in, in 2015, that was when he ended up getting shipped out to Washington. And things didn't really work out for him after that. Like, he didn't really... The whole Bryce Harper incident probably didn't help the situation. It would have been nice to see him pitch maybe another one or two more years, but he only pitched for 12. Eckersley pitched for how many? Uh, almost 20, if not, not, if not more, actually. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. He pitched for 24 seasons. 24. 24. Yeah. Dennis Eckersley also had 390 saves. He also had 100 complete games, 20 shutouts, and struck out 2,400 batters. John Papelbon only struck out 800. So there's a big difference when it comes to comparing Dennis Eckersley with with Johnny Papelbon. You have a guy who pitched 24 seasons and a guy who pitched half as long. You have a guy who's got 2,400 strikeouts as opposed to 800. I don't think I could make a case for Johnny Papelbon being in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't I don't think anyone can make a case for him even being in the Red Sox like you know fame uh, list. There, I just I couldn't do it. Um, big difference between the two. Uh, nothing against them, nothing wrong with it. Um, but you have someone that was able to prove himself as not only a closer, but a, uh, a starter as well. Um, and, uh, Eckersley was able to do some things that Jonathan Papelbon never even had the opportunity to do. Uh, Dennis Eckersley was able to hit 40 or more saves in four plus seasons, four seasons, including a string of 30 or more in six he also won 20 games in a season. So John Papelbon never did that. You know, John Papelbon never struck out 200 guys in a year. So it's, it's one of those things where, uh, there's a fine line between comparing certain closers and nothing against Papelbon as a guy, because he was able to do some great work, but I, I can't compare the two. I think Eckersley deserves to be in the hall of fame and Jonathan Papelbon would just be fun to watch play again, but he won't be in the hall of fame. <laughs> Yeah, I've got some numbers up here. Uh, Trevor Hoffman, 601 saves. You know, that's up there. Lee Smith, 478. Mariano Rivera, 652. The only unanimous guy in the Hall of Fame so far as well. Uh, Goose Gossage, he must have been a starter. I'm not quite as familiar. I I know he was with the Yankees for a while, but... um, but yeah, 310 for him, 300 saves for Bruce Sutter, Raleigh Fingers 341. So, you know, there there must have been some some starts in there. Admittedly, I'm 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 weak with, you know, history, you know, you know, earlier than year 2000, but um but yeah, I don't know. I I hope he I hope he does. The one thing I will say for him is I think you know he does have that 2.44 ERA, and I think he did adapt pretty well in those later years for not having the velocity. 
you know, he was kind of a little bit more of a pitch to contact guy. So it really is unfortunate that, um, you know, he didn't decide to, to pitch for a couple more years, at least, you know, get over the, you know, the 400 marker. Cause maybe that might've, might've given him a better case. It could have. I mean, right now, actively, um, there are no active players that have more saves than Jonathan Papelbon. The highest active player with saves right now is Craig Kimbrell. Uh, Papelbon sits ninth right now, and he's sitting just uh, just nine away from eighth, which is uh, Joe Nathan, who pitched four more seasons. So had Papelbon maybe pitched another season or two, maybe you could make an argument because they need to be in the 400 club. But uh, it's just it, it's hard right now. Kimbrell could potentially make it. He's got a World Series title, same as Papelbon, but Kimbrel's in a in a different uh, a, a different um, I think tier of of closer, especially if Kimbrel can right the wrong um, of of what's been going on with his uh, his mechanics because Kimbrel's been pitching for two less seasons, has uh, you know twenty. 20 less saves, has 100 more strikeouts, um, and he's also only 31. Uh, so if Kimbrell can figure it out, you know, another four or five good seasons, and maybe he gets 30 saves, you have 100, 150 more saves there, he's at 500. That gives him third on the list. So I think Kimbrell has a better shot at being in the Hall of Fame over, over Papelbon personally. He's going to have to, like I said with Papelbon, probably find a way to adapt – um, you know, cause that he's, he was a guy that lived in the 99 to a hundred mile an hour range, maybe even higher than that in his Atlanta days. And, and right. yeah. So the other thing too, is he, um, you know, it was a bit of a head case, you know, Papelbon didn't really, you know, didn't really waver. The one thing though about Kimbrell is he has an elite strikeout per nine, 14.6. That is absolutely insane. That's career. So um, that's up there. Like if he retired tomorrow, he might have a, you know, a, a puncher's chance to, to get in, you know, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to do what they do. Averaging one strikeout an inning is the expectation. When you start to average one and a half, you're doing pretty darn good. Yeah, absolutely. and he's he's doing more than that because he's uh, you know Kimbrel's only pitched 550 innings. He's already got 900 strikeouts, so that's that's insane. Um, but he's always been like that, you know. Like uh, when you look back at his 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 couple of years in in Boston, he had in his second year it's 69 innings and 126 strikeouts. Like it, it was just insane. He had a 16.4 K nine ratio which wasn't even his best career. His best was back in 2012 when he had 16.7. He had 116 punchouts in 62 and two-thirds innings pitched. Like, the guy was just electric. Every ninth inning, it was like, oh, it's like Mariano Rivera. You only have to worry about eight innings because the ninth is already set. Right, yeah. The one interesting thing about Kimbrell is, of all the Red Sox championships this century, He's the only one who didn't get the ball in the ninth inning to uh, I know. to close it out. Keith Folt got it in 2004, Papelbon 2007, and Koji Uihara in um, you know 2013. And Uihara had maybe the single best season I've ever seen from anyone. <laughs> 
that year. He was just absolutely unhittable. Yep, and he got the he got the chance to do his damage in Boston based on uh, the fact that the closers of the Red Sox had had sought after they just they couldn't stay healthy. They just couldn't do it. They had uh, Mark Melanson and they had um, another closer from Pittsburgh. Um, names drawn a blank. Oh but I'll, yeah, I'll, no, I'll... that was uh, Joel Hanrahan. Yeah, Hanrahan, you got it. Yep. Yeah, that was an insane season because he was the closer. And then we're like, it's fine. It's fine. We'll just go with Bailey. And then he had a shoulder issue. And then we're like, all right, no problem. We got Andrew Miller. He's starting to really come on strong. And then he breaks his ankle. And then we had like yeah. a, we had a round robin for maybe a month of, of Tazawa, Breslow, and Uihara. And then finally Uihara kind of broke out and was just phenomenal. And he actually won the... Uh, ALCS MVP because he held, I think there were in all four of our wins, he had to come into the game and hold a, um, a one run lead or something like that. Or maybe it was two or three of the games, but it was, he was crazy. And, uh, and I know Tozawa was always brought in when Miggy came up to bat because for whatever reason, he was always able to assassinate him. And, uh, yep. Just crazy that John Farrell figured it out, <laughs> based on yep. based on what we saw after that. But yeah, just absolutely insane. But yeah, well, all right. You know, we got an hour in, and when I was looking at the uh, topics list, I'm like, eh, maybe 40 minutes at best with this show. But uh, kind of. Oh, yeah. you know me. You know you're gonna get an hour if I'm on here. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely good. I'll, uh, I wanted to talk about juice baseballs, but I'll, I'll put that in my back pocket for uh, Wednesday just in case that, sure. that topic list is a little uh, little light. So, But thanks for uh, coming on, and uh, we'll have you on, you and Al, next Sunday to review the um, Astro, uh, Astros, the uh, Orioles series. And uh, hopefully we take, what, two out of three of that at least. Yeah, Al and I, and I'm sure Al will mention it to you, Al and I have a little wager going on a bottle of wine for this uh, season. I don't think the Red Sox are going to get more than uh, 2023 wins. He's got, they, I think they have to get either 25 or 26 wins for him to get a bottle of wine. And if they don't get that number, I get the bottle of wine. Yeah, set it at a half. So like 24 and a half. That way, that way there's no I think tie. it's 25 and a half. So I, oh, I think okay. it's 24 and a half. I think it, I think it's either twenty five or twenty six. I forget. You have to ask him. I'll, I'll take his word for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of you guys is going to get wasted off the other guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, Charlie. Good show, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you. Well, you'll be on next week. So. I'll be on. I'll I'll catch you later. Thanks for having me. As take, always. Take it easy, bud. See ya. Episode 199 in the books. That means Wednesday will be 200. Oh my God. I can't believe I've recorded 200 of these. Actually, I missed two episodes last year. So I guess technically I'm at 198, but close enough. Close enough. And I hope you guys are enjoying it. Hope everybody's looking forward to the season. I know it's weird and whatever, but we'll... uh, We'll get through it, and uh, I, I think it can be a very intriguing season because the the division races are going to be so tight with the small number of games. So I am looking forward to it nonetheless. Take care, everyone.